your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. LeJean in a quarterback from Maryland. Looking at third and nine out with 30-yard line. LeJean gets the snap. Gets hit. Dropped. Oh, what a sack. Big time hit by JoJo Doman. Back at the 21-yard line. Doman's second sack of the year. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Well, if you love baseball, today's been a great day, right? And I, and I know... A lot of traditionalists are having a hard time this week with all these teams in the playoffs and three-game wildcard series. I've had a blast the last couple days, Ben McLaughlin. This has been a it's been a hoot flipping around from game to game to game. Yeah, I've loved it, and I've been looking forward to this day for a while. Yesterday was a good tease, you know, with just the American League, and obviously today everybody going. Um, you know, this was great, and, and you know. Baseball purists, I think you have to be a little flexible this year given the circumstances. So nothing about this year has been normal. So I, I don't see why people have the need to, to complain about all the action today when, you know, it's just hard to, uh, you know, hard to have any kind of normalcy with the, with the year that we've had. So, no, zero issues with it whatsoever. It's been awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. I follow quite a few baseball writers, and they're like, enough of this. This is awful good. How, why? Isn't more baseball better than less baseball? I mean, I just don't, I don't get why you would think this is such a bad deal. May, maybe if you're the Twins, you don't like it because you, you got beat at home too straight by the Astros and you're done before October. Uh, and my goodness, and I texted Josh this earlier today, Josh, big Twins fan, I go, I, I cannot believe that franchise has lost that many playoff games in a row. That is, it's one of the most amazing streaks in the history of sports. I mean, this is baseball and good teams, and you have to be good to make the playoffs. Even this year, you got to be fairly good. You, you shouldn't lose that many in a row. That's crazy. I feel like that franchise is just rocked. You know, it's just, you know, you get stung like that so many times. And, you know, we see this a lot of times in sports, not just, you know, with playoffs, but, you know, now now the narrative of, you know, Lamar Jackson can't beat Mahomes. You know, this narrative begins to happen with players, with teams, with coaches, with whatever. Tom Osborne couldn't win the big one, you know, and whenever that narrative is spout off, that snowball begins to roll down the hill. And every time that you get another one of those situations, it feels like it becomes harder and harder to, to win. You know, the, the, for the longest time, the Chiefs couldn't win a home playoff game. You know, whatever it is, like there seems to be these trends in sports. And then every time there's that opportunity, it seems like it becomes harder and harder to do. Right. I mean, baseball is a game in which you play a bunch of games. You're going to win some. It's just the, the nature of the, you know, the nature of the beast with uh with how baseball works, you're going to win one. But the fact that the Twins have been told, you know, this is a uh, this is a long time since you guys want a playoff game. There's no doubt it's in it's in the players' minds. It's in everybody around that that clubhouse's minds. And yeah, it's a it's it's crazy to me that 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 that's happened. I can't imagine how Twins fans are feeling right now. I mean, I can, but um, just an utter unbelievable streak to be honest that they just they, yeah. they can't find a way to win one and and both games were close you know he, the, the, yesterday went down to the ninth inning and you know today um it, it never was you know a blowout in any sense they had they had a chance to come back but 
yeah, just really a tough, tough spot to be in if you're Minnesota and, and, you know, there are a couple of team, other teams around here. That is, imagine how Reds fans are feeling right now. You get a franchise Ooh. record, 12 strikeouts from Trevor Bauer in your start. He's been brilliant this year and you can't score him one run and, and you lose. So yeah, it, it's tough day for twins fans. There's no question about it. it it's um, really the Reds had so many opportunities to score in that game against the Braves, and that'll be hard for them to come back, I think, losing that one today to Atlanta. Freddie Freeman with the game-winning hit there. The Rays are about to dust off the Blue Jays. It's 8-2 in the ninth, so you're going to have a couple of sweeps today in the American League, the Astros and the Rays. The Cardinals up 6-3 in the fifth. They've got rain problems in Cleveland for game two of the Yankees series with the Indians. And then later tonight, the night game, the Dodgers hosting the Brewers. We'll talk with our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grindle, coming up in hour number two, get his take on the last couple of days, and obviously the Brewers being in the playoffs. It was announced about an hour ago that the National League Championship Series, which will be held at the new ballpark in Arlington, and the World Series, which will be held at the new ballpark in Arlington, they're going to allow fans. They're going to sell 11,000 tickets per game. That'll be about 25% capacity of that Globe Life Park in Arlington. So for the NLCS and the World Series, you will have fans. That will really be a big help, I think, to all of this. But the, the American League Championship Series, which will be at Petco Park in San Diego, will not. Uh, different state restrictions in California to Texas. So in the NLCS, yep, you'll have fans. World Series, yep, you're going to have fans. But the AL playoffs moving forward, no fans at all. But I think that's really going to be great to have fans uh, for the NLCS and the World Series. Again, that just came down uh, within the last hour from Major League Baseball. All right, here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. Another edition of the Husker Huddle with Jeremiah Searles. He's going to talk to another one of his former teammates, Cole Pensick. Love when the old offensive linemen start chattering away together. That'll be great to, to hear both of those guys uh, converse. Then we will hear some clips as a couple of Husker basketball players met some media members today. Kobe Webster and Teddy Allen both got a chance to talk about how workouts have been going, how they're uh, getting used to each other, what kind of leadership roles are developing already for Husker Hoops. We'll hear some clips from them. Mention hour number two, Lane Grindle will be here. We'll also continue our reports of around the Big Ten tonight. We focus in on the Michigan Wolverines. Looking forward to hearing from Angelique Shangalis from the Detroit News. One of my questions is going to be about the young McCaffrey, um, Dylan McCaffrey, transferring out of Michigan just a couple of weeks ago, opting to hit the transfer portal. Going to get the skinny on that. Apparently he did not win the starting quarterback's job or wasn't going to win the starting quarterback's job and has opted to leave. Uh, and that's a little blow to Michigan's talent and depth at the quarterback position. But we'll talk Michigan football with her. Buy, sell comes back in hour number three, and we're ready to drop another edition of our Husker Sports Properties Originals tomorrow. We'll play you a little clip of what this new edition is. I think you're going to enjoy this one an awful lot. So that's what we have here on the show tonight. Phone lines always open and available for you at 531-500-4686. That also doubles up as our U.S. Cellular text line. Again, 531-500-4686 brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers. U.S. Cellular connecting Husker Nation. And Ben, in just a couple of hours, game one of the NBA Finals. How intrigued or not are you with the Lakers heat matchup 
I mean, I'm definitely intrigued. I, you know, this is where usually the the conference finals where it starts to get to me must watch TV. Um, I can, I'm okay with doing without parts of the NBA playoffs. I'm just not super into the NBA. I I, I love the finals. I love you know the the conference finals even to a certain degree. But this is where to to me, I'll sit down. I'll I'll watch the whole game and. I'm intrigued to see how Miami can hang, how they match match up with AD and LeBron, and you know, can they continue to you know bring parts to the to the game that you know give the Lakers problems? You know, guys like Tyler Hero and uh, you know Bam, and some, they're going to need some help. It's not just going to be Jimmy buckets out there. They're going to need some help out there. Um, you know, group efforting this thing against a, a really strong LA team. So. Yeah, I'm excited to see it, and I, and I will watch. I will watch as much as I possibly can tonight. Lakers are, are heavy favorites to win the title with LeBron and AD and, and the whole cast. Uh, the Heat, though, have certainly been a bit of a surprise. And again, tip of the cap to our Austin Orman, who a couple of weeks ago in the playoffs began, said, keep an eye on the Heat. I don't know that he was necessarily picking the Heat to get this far, but he said, keep an eye on the Heat. And they have certainly played some great basketball as they've made their way through the playoffs it has gone final in tampa the rays are moving on they beat the blue jays eight to two so tampa who is my pick to get to the world series um wins two fairly easy games over the blue jays to move on on our text line got a guy who says i'm an average major league baseball fan but really like the playoffs i think the three game wild cards are awesome and make it better never understood the one game thing one game determines your whole season so there's one fan's opinion on our text line there today. All right, that's what we have here on the program tonight. First day in pads for the Huskers today, Ben. We didn't have any media availability after the practice today. We did yesterday hearing from the defensive coaches. We will hear from the offensive coaches tomorrow. But I bet I bet the uh, the tempo, I bet the uh, the energy level was pretty high. First time you put those pads on, you can hear some popping of those things out on a practice field. No doubt. And look, it's, it's always a, a juice day. First, first day of pads. I mean, it was that, it's been that way since you played peewee football. The first time you get those pads on, you know, you kind of, kind of separates some people, you know, those that, that want to hit, want to be physical and those that kind of shy away from it. And it's exciting. These guys haven't put pads on since November. And you better believe there is a little bit of juice, you know, out there on the practice field today, um, having those things strapped up and, uh, and and banging some bodies against each other. So, yeah, without a doubt, probably a little more gas at the practice field today, knowing uh, what was about to come. I, I, I have, I'd have to imagine it's a pretty physical day out there. Might be some sore bodies tomorrow. I bet there are. I bet the cold tub got a little bit of a workout today after practice, and then. Uh, Again, you know, it's it's pretty much it's it's basically the August camp is going on now, and so the tough thing for the guys is that when you start that August camp every year, you don't have school going on at the same time. So now you're into this, and classes are going on, and you're kind of hitting the mid part of a semester. So this isn't the time you can let your foot off the gas for your classwork. So this will be a this will be, but I'm sure the guys are excited to do it. 
they've been waiting for this time for a long, long time. And as Scott Frost told us last week when he was with us, they haven't had the pads on since they walked off the field against Iowa on Black Friday uh, last year. That's a long, long time from that date to here on September the 30th. All right, that's what we have here on the program tonight. Lots of other things that we'll get into as we make our way through in the next couple of hours. Glad you're with us here on Sportsonic. When we come back, Jeremiah Searle sits down for this week's edition of the Husker Huddle. That's next. Welcome back to another edition of Husker Huddle here at the Husker Sports Network. I'm your host, Jeremiah Searles. Today we are joined by fellow Pipeline member who was here with me when I've had my tenure here. Second team All-Big Ten while his senior year here. He played center, he played guard, his dad played here. And we're joined by no one other than Cole Penzik. Cole, how are you, my friend? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we always like catching up with former Huskers here on Husker Huddle and seeing what life has been doing for them and how life has been treating them. So what have you been up to since you left and graduated back here in 2013? Uh, tried, uh, had a little tryout with Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, unfortunately, uh, did not work out uh, the way I would have hoped. Um, as you can probably attest, careers usually don't end when you really want them to. Yes. Um, but uh, worked for a company called Fairbank Equipment, uh, based out of Wichita, Kansas. Got a store in Grand Island, outside traveling salesman forum, uh, selling fertilizer equipment, uh, nurse trailers, dry spreaders, anything to do with the agronomy side to the farming world. That's awesome. So do you live, uh, you live out in Columbus now, correct? I do. Uh, just about uh, nine, ten miles south of Columbus. Uh, live in a little cul-de-sac on an acre. Um, my wife, uh, she's a CNA at a uh, retirement nursing home in Columbus. And we've got a two-year-old black lab. Mm, very nice. Well, one thing I've been catching up with everyone as is these last few months have been wild. It's flipped a lot of people's worlds upside down. Some people for it's given opportunities. Other people it's been really hard with the whole COVID pandemic thing going on. How have you and your wife been able to handle this and uh, kind of how have you had to maybe shift some things as this all went down? Um, you know, early on, it, it, uh, it was so much unknown and there's still to this day a lot of unknown. Um, but just not wanting me to bring anything home or have her bring anything home and then take it to my job, her job. Uh, we did spend about 14 days away from each other. Um, just initially, she kind of come down with a little bit of a respiratory issue. Unfortunately, um, it was negative. But uh, as far as work on my end, um, farming world never slowed down. Um, I mean, it was right during planting or getting ready for planting pre-spray. So the need to get equipment and parts out um, uh, was definitely still there. Um, just the communication uh, might have been a little bit different as far as uh, setting it outside, parking it um, away from everyone. And then once I leave, they would go uh, grab it and uh, deal with however they needed to handle it. That's crazy. I mean, it seems to, like that was just how everyone that was successful in this times adapted to it. It sounds like you guys had your own fair share of adapting to it as well. So let's talk a little bit about some adapting that I remember you having to do when here, we're here at Nebraska. So like I said, 
Cole came in as a defensive lineman, actually, when we were freshmen here in 2009, and then switched over, became a very successful offensive lineman for us here. But I want you to talk a little bit about how that ad adaptation from D-line to O-line went, because there's a guy on this offensive line that is very intriguing to me. His last name is Banks. He came in as a defensive lineman. And he's now made the shift to offensive line, which I told him he was going to do the first time I met him. He's a big, tall, white guy. And he's like, no, I'm going to play defensive line. I was like, no, you're not. But he had to make that shift. And so what were some of the things that for you were struggles or some of the things that really carrying over some of that D-line mentality to the offensive line helped you excel? Oh, I think, uh, you know, when we first were there, um, we had uh, and Sue on the other side. So... Uh, just sitting in meeting room, watching him, listening to him, he, he kind of learned a little more behind the scenes of thought process of a D lineman. Um, now, when things are hot and heavy, uh, probably not going through that recall of memory, but uh, just being there and kind of learning, you get that muscle memory of, well, if I was the D lineman, this is how I'd do it. And you kind of can almost uh, adapt to it or you, you almost feel it coming before they even really know it's uh, there once they're going to do it themselves. Mm. Um, but, you know, adapting, um, I think the biggest thing for me moving over to the O-line was uh, not so much learning uh, the, the playbook uh, schemes, this and that. It was learning to snap the ball and block at the same time, <laughs> uh, as I had uh, never done that before. Um, fortunately, had uh, a great supporting cast, uh, although uh, hard at times, uh, but with uh, Mike Caputo, uh, Jacob Hickman, John Garrison, and uh, Coach Cotton. Uh, I mean, it really probably overanalyzed the whole snapping of a football. Um, to get to where uh, you, you want to be uh, in an offense that primarily use the shotgun. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those uh, when you need to adapt, uh, a supporting cast is always uh, beneficial. Um, and most of uh, close tight-knit group, I was already tight with you guys on the O-line. Uh, I know early on I always like to give you a hard time about the D-line, O-line, uh, but then I ended up myself one. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, it was uh, struggles up in the early stages, um, adapting, um, just kind of switching over the, the, you know, concept of just your stance in general is different, um, and then having to snap the ball um, compared to watching the ball. So... I mean, you bring up a great thing in the snap, and it seems that every game I've watched from NFL, college, there's always an error snap. There was a lot this weekend. I know the Vikings had a really bad one that might have cost them the football game. But last year here in Lincoln, big issue with the snap, with Adrian Martinez having to almost jump every time for the snap. And, I mean, now we're hoping that uh, Cam Jurgens can get the snaps back on track, even with the kind of derailed offseason a little bit here. But what is it that makes snapping a football so difficult? Because it's not the actual act. I've, I've played center before. You played it much longer than I actually did. But 
Is it is it the the idea of oh man don't mess up the snap or is it more along the lines of I got to block this guy while I snap like what is it that makes snapping a football so difficult at times? Well, I think once you've uh, had those moments in uh, in a practice, uh, fortunately, uh, to to my uh, knowledge as of right now, and I could be corrected, I don't recall having. I might have had a low snap, but I don't think I ever had anything go behind the quarterback. Um, but it does, I mean, it is a mental, uh, um, you know, it, it gets on you. Coaches are screaming at you, and uh, for, for camp's sake, you, you, you hear 90,000 people mm-hmm. also um, uh, expressing their displeasure with um, <laughs> uh, bad snaps. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the mental aspect to it can wear on you but you know uh yourself playing it i mean you've got so many different you know compared to a pass a, a inside run outside run uh if you have to pull you know the the motion of throwing the ball between your legs is the same but when you're trying to reach a guy that might be uh you know an inside technique or uh whatever um it, it takes the muscle memory to do that um, and at the time uh, I didn't wasn't a huge fan of it um, <laughs> but looking back uh, just the before practice snaps the during practice snaps the after practice snaps the the, the thousands of snaps that you end up t- taking it just becomes that muscle memory but uh, you know cam experiencing uh, moving from a position that he's never snapped before to, that uh, you know, it's going to take time for him to get comfortable, um, and with uh, being game day, and I'm sure pressure from coaches, and at, at times uh, I'm sure players are probably expressing, "Hey, let's get this ball under control." He's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself mm-hmm. to get it corrected, and that can have a negative effect as well. Absolutely. I, I, that's really that's really tough. I think that the mental aspect of it, people don't understand, is almost 90% of it when it comes to snapping a football, that's for sure. Cole, before we let you get out of here, man, we got to talk a little bit about this Husker offensive line. I mean, I know you watch both D-line and O-line being a former defensive lineman, but I think that the offensive line, and you, I'd love to hear your thoughts, are going to be a strength this year for this team. I think this might be the first year that there's two NFL players that could get drafted this year in Brendan Hymas and Matt Farniak on an offensive line together for Nebraska since probably our class, where it was you, myself, Quali, Spencer, Andrew Rodriguez, like some names that had chances to play in the NFL at the next level. What do you think about this offensive line going into the season? Oh, I've got uh, utmost uh, positive thoughts that uh, you can. I mean, over the last um, you know, let's be honest with everyone. Uh, our O-line has uh, suffered over <laughs> the last, call it five years. Um, they haven't, uh, w- what we as former pipeline, uh, you know, that pipeline that Nebraska's uh, been proud of over the years. Um, and I think uh, Scott Frost has done uh, a, a great job of getting that talent, that attitude, 
because um, as an old lineman, you do have to have, uh, you know, uh, that kind of, you have to have that mentality. Um, uh, it's not just being a collective talented group. You have to have kind of a persona about you. Um, and no matter uh, offense, defense, special teams, O-line has to be the most collective uh, group. Uh, you're five. Um, and you have to work together. If you don't work together, um, well, then the offense um, is not going to be as successful. Um, but I, I think with Cam at the at the helm, captain in it, uh, he's going to improve because um, I'm sure, although lack of spring ball, I'm sure he's been practicing mm. snapping. Um, but you know, everyone's going to be a year older. Um, and he just got that experience underneath them. And I think, truthfully, the sky's the limit with what they can do this year. Absolutely. Well, Cole, we really appreciate you coming on here on Husker Huddle. It's always great catching back up with you. We need to get together here soon, as soon as things start normalizing. And you and I need to get us, have a nice morning coffee and a duck blind here coming up this month. I, I, can, I can handle that with some good duck blind breakfast. I appreciate your, you having me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining us here on Husker Huddle and the Husker Sports Network. We'll see you next week. There is Cole Pensick with Jeremiah Searles. Great uh, conversation between a couple of offensive linemen. Always love those conversations. Welcome back. Sports Island here on a Wednesday night. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you. 531-500-4686. The number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question or fire us off a text. We're from uh, some of the football guys yesterday after their practice. Today, a couple of members of the men's basketball team, Ben, were made available to the media. Two of the new guys on this Fred Hoiberg team. Yeah, I feel like uh, new guys is a label we can pretty much slap on, uh, you know, every group of player that speaks. Uh, just, just about all of them are new once again. But these are actual two first-year players for the Big Red coming by way of transfer. And Teddy Allen being the first to speak today with members of the media over a Zoom call and kind of a, addressed the media and let everybody know what potentially this team, this group of Huskers, will be known for. Well, I think we're definitely going to be known for um, our pace, hopefully how we shoot the ball. Um, but uh, I feel as though we can disrupt teams mightily with our length. We're, at, we're a really big team for college um, so I just noticed, you know, this like myself, like Justin, playing with these guys and just seeing like, wow, like it's kind of hard to move around against this team. Like we're a big team, big, uh, we have a lot of length. So I think uh, our pace along with our size and skill could, um, could mess teams up. And I think, Greg, when we talk about size with this team, it isn't necessarily seven footer, six foot 10, it's what Teddy was talking about in the length. You know, guys like Delano Banton himself, you know, they're really long. Will remind you a little bit uh, of the team that, that Coach Miles had in 2015 with JPJ and um, with Isaac and with Roby, you know, just how long those guys were. I think you might see a little bit of that in terms of length this, this year, which is going to make Doc Sadler's job a little easier on the defensive end of the floor. Absolutely. I'll add one more name to that the guys that have a lot of length, and that's Lat Mayan. He's another guy that is going to be six eight but can shoot the three and is really going to stretch the defense. There's going to be a lot of options. I mean, Fred Hoiberg's gonna if there's nights 
A and B aren't hitting, he's got C, D, and E ready to go that can can take over the scoring load a little bit for this team. That's going to be what's intriguing to me about this group. With the team getting ready to start practice, the offseason just wrapping up, Teddy Allen also spoke to the work ethic of this year's bunch. Honestly, uh, the whole team, you know, for instance, we were off, I think it was last week. Um, yeah, we was off for a week, and nobody nobody was not in the gym. We was all in the gym. We all had, like, I'll talk to the managers um, and be like, yeah, who's coming in today? Because, see, I come in in the morning, and they have a schedule for the whole day of everybody coming in and getting their work in. And it's been like that from the get-go. You know, we was in quarantine. Guys were itching to get on the court, and it hasn't stopped at all since. Um, we've been lucky. Uh We've been following all the right precautions, so we've been able to keep our practices going. And I really think guys are taking advantage and living in the gym. And hopefully y'all should be able to see that on full display. I, I appreciate Teddy saying that because, you know, th- there were a lot of things and, and unknown variables that were happening around other sports. Not much of it was talked about with hoops. And, you know, with these guys being so new and haven't really played together, Teddy being one of them, um, Teddy Allen is going to be a huge part to this team. I mean, he, th- this is a young man with all the skill in the world, tremendous shooting ability. And the thing that I may be most impressed with, uh, with Teddy, and this applies to our next speaker as well, is their off the floor role and their leadership, uh, to have two first year guys come in and want to embrace that role. Uh, not entirely dissimilar to what we saw from Hanif Cheatham, um, you know, this past season, you know, Teddy's a guy who's been through the ringer, and, you know, it's it's not surprising that he's already developed the role that he's had with this team and, um, you know, proud of him for getting up and, and speaking to the media today, and it's something he's going to have to do quite a bit if that's a, a role that he wants to accept. Um, you know, talking in front of uh, media, in front of Zoom calls is going to be something that's that's quite popular, as it will be for Kobe Webster, a newcomer, transfer into the program, a point guard. Um, also wants to be a part of the leader. What has he done to help develop himself into that mold as a team leader? Uh, I think it started, you know, early when we got here in June. Uh, like you said, as one of the seniors on the team, I think I tried to establish myself um, as a leader, whether it's on the court or off the court. So, you know, like you said, with the whole Black Lives Matter thing, that's something I feel passionate about. So I felt the need, you know, to speak up about that. Um, in terms of on the court, you know, Hoiberg, Coach Hoiberg has, you know, given me that that chance to be vocal, um, have the opportunity to to really put guys in the, in the positions, and obviously being a point guard, that's kind of just my personality. You know, I like I like being able to kind of control the traffic or whatever, and um, you know, just make sure guys are in the right positions on the court, being able to talk to guys, um, understanding how guys are are taking certain things, you know whether I have to talk to this guy a certain way or talk to him a different way. Um, so, yeah, I think – but being here in June uh, definitely helped. You know, we got out here earlier than most schools. So I was uh, – I had the chance to get to know everybody um, over the past three, three and a half, four months, um, and that's definitely helped. Kobe's another guy, too, that – and I admire that so much because I've seen so many times, Greg, and it doesn't even really matter the sport where those newcomers – like to kind of sit back for that first year, let things play out, get their feeling. Um, seen it in football a ton, see it in baseball a ton, where we don't even really feel like we get to know them very well until their, their second year on campus. And that's why I have so much admiration for guys like Teddy 
and and Kobe Webster. I mean, Kobe, as he said, he's a senior and he doesn't have necessarily that grace period to where he can dip his toe in the water and slowly let his personality come out. And I would agree, getting here in June was a huge help for that. He's going to be this year's Hanif Cheatham as far as the kind of the, the guy that represents the team a lot. You can already tell that in just a couple of months on campus for him. And you're right, he knows that clock is ticking on his career. He has one more go around, and that's why he opted to get, jump into that senior transfer portal because he wanted to give it a go at the Big Ten level after being a star at Western Illinois. It would have been easy just to finish off and become a legend at that school. But he wants to test himself against the best. And the Big Ten is the best right now in the country as far as it goes for college basketball. So he's going to be a guy that I think you're going to see that gathers the team on the court during free throw shootings. He's just going to be that guy that kind of controls his team, I think. Really looking forward to getting to know this young man and, you know, his story and, um, you know, wanting to come have an impact on, on a place before his college career is over. Uh, we talked a lot, a little bit about it already with with Teddy Allen about potential strengths of this team. You know, with Coach Hoiberg and his coaching style, pace, shooting, going to be one of them. But in the eyes of the point guard, Kobe Webster, uh, what could this team be best at uh, as a unit moving forward? Shooting the ball for sure. Uh, we have a lot of weapons. I think our pace—that's uh, something that Coach Hoiberg preaches every day. Our pace is, is definitely going to be there, um, and I think that's going to contribute to. You know, a lot of open shots for the weapons that we do have. Uh, as the point guard, you know, it's my job to push the pace. So, um, you know, I, I'm able to find guys in transition. Um, and then the pace we play with, you know, in the half court, um, whether we're running a play or a different set, um, I think the, the way we sprint to screens, sprint to cuts, um, whatever the case may be, that's going to lead to a lot of open shots. And we have so many weapons on the court, um, whether it's, you know, three-point shooters, um, slashers, guys that are athletic can go get a, a lob, whatever the case may be. Um, we have plenty of weapons, and I think, you know, the pace that we play with and the fact that we can we can shoot the ball is definitely going to contribute to some success. If that's not a point guard speaking, I don't know what is. Uh-huh. I mean, that is, that is point guard language spewing out right there. Absolutely. I, I just – I can't wait to watch these guys just to see. And, and I've had some people around the Big Ten go, all right, what do you, what do you think? And I'm like, there's, big, there's been an upgrade in talent for the old Huskers. Uh, now, how can they, can they come together? Can they find their roles? Can, can all that work? That's to be determined. But there's some talent on this basketball team. I am so impressed with Co- what Co- Coach Hoiberg and his staff have done. And Kobe's going to be, I think, again, the, stir- the straw that kind of stirs the drink for this team. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm excited to see the guys that we already expected to see this year, right? Derek Walker and Delano Banton, mm-hmm. Shamil Stevenson. I mean, those guys by themselves are enough to get me excited. Then you throw, you know, a guy like Teddy Allen, who, you know, I've been told by people that have watched him play that he is an NBA player. I mean, if, if he can get the other parts to what be, what being a pro is all about under control, that guy's talent is good enough to let him play in the NBA. And then you throw in, you know, a, a, an experienced point guard in Kobe Webster who plays a ton of minutes. I'm with you. I think this team is, has some sneaky good potential. Going to be fun. Now let's get that schedule put together and see what what's going to happen with, with Husker Hoops. I mean, tomorrow's October 1st. We're two weeks away, Ben, for them starting full-time practice with that November 25th launch date for the college basketball season. It will get here in a hurry. Tonight we continue our reports around the conference. 
Tonight, we take a look around the Big Ten Conference. Brought to you by Sinclair Oil Gasoline and Oil Products. Fill up your life and your vehicle with DinoCare. Sinclair's top-tier gasoline. Fields, looks, throws, middle of the field, toward the end zone, touchdown, Olave! 27-yard, 20, 10, touchdown! Touchdown, Illinois! Touchdown, touchdown, Iowa! Stanley to Amir Smith, March 5, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Penn State! 70, 20, Pone to the 10, Pone to the 5, Pone, touchdown, Wisconsin! Tonight. They give the ball to Charbonnet. He dodges a guy at the one and jumps into the end zone. Touchdown, Michigan. The Michigan Wolverines. And here to talk to us about the Wolverines, Angelique Shingalis from the Detroit News. Always a pleasure to have her on board with us here today. Hey, we got football coming our way. How surprised are the folks in Michigan that the Big Ten reverse course? Well, I think everybody is is surprised, but but happily so. And and I know that the Nebraska parents and certainly the players who filed suit were so invested in this, but so were the Michigan parents. And you know they got very aggressive and sending letters and making demands. And you know who knows how much that swayed things, but I can tell you the parents are happy, and there's no doubt the the players and the coaches are happy. I mean, seriously, no one really talked that much about the the coaches, and and I you know spoke to a few of them during those weeks and saying, we just want to coach. We just want to coach. They don't know what else to do in September and October and, and the rest of the fall. So I think everybody's overjoyed. Yeah, I think the last time we we spoke, the the, the Wolverines had kind of a, a little parade or a little rally that Jim Harbaugh marched with the students to try to, to get some attention around Ann Arbor for this. Let's uh, let's talk about where this team is right now. What's Are they into the pad part of it? Today, I guess, was one of the days that maybe everybody could go to pad practices. Yeah, they were supposed to start today. We spoke to Don Brown, Michigan's defensive coordinator, today. And, uh, you know, look, I think everybody, you write a lot of positive articles in the preseason leading up to a season. And I think that that's pretty much across the board. And, and people are sending me messages like, stop hyping these guys. Stop it. Stop it. And, <laughs> and you know, it's hard, it's hard not to when the coaches are, are raving about these guys. And Don Brown did the same again today. I mean, this defense, I think, will be the strength of the team. I think when you look up front, you've got Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay, and, and you've got Carlo Kemp back in the middle. And, you know, I think they've got very good linebackers. They lost a, a corner in Amber Thomas, but they feel really good about Dax Hill, the freshman last year, the, the five-star. And, and Don Brown was saying today he could really play anywhere, and, and there's a, a shot that he, uh, he might play a corner. So, um, you know, listening to the coaches, Josh Gaddis last week, their offense coordinator, you know, you think that uh, they, they feel really good about where this team is right now. But, you know, they haven't been in pads since January 1. So it, it's hard to say where this team is right now. You know, well, let's go to offense. And the one bit of news I know you've had the last couple of weeks is, is Dylan McCaffrey, the quarterback whose younger brother's on the Nebraska roster, has put his name in the transfer portal. What, what's happened at quarterback for Michigan? Well, it's going to be really interesting, Greg. I mean, it, it, I thought it would be a Joe Milton Dill McCaffrey battle. I, everybody thought that, and I was really looking forward to, to that competition. And, and Dylan, as you said, has decided to opt out, and he's going to get his degree uh, in, by uh, December at Michigan, and then have two years uh, where he can play somewhere else. And I don't know what what he's thinking about in terms of uh, future destination, but. You know, people have been talking about Joe Milton and Joe Milton and Joe Milton. I mean, he's he's a physical specimen. I, I was trying to think who he reminds me of, and I have to go way back to, to Tyrone Wheatley, 
in, in the early 90s. Michigan's a great running back. Just physically, he looks similar. He's just very he's big, he's strong, and he's got a cannon for an arm. And and now he's going to be competing with Cade McNamara. And a guy no one's really talked that much about. I spoke to his quarterback coach, Jordan Palmer, um, Friday. And, and he, he said Cade's got everything. He's got confidence. He's He's got the weapons too, but but Joe Milton is is definitely the front runner. And uh, listening to the receivers talk about him, he's really worked on developing touch. I mean, you can't throw 100 miles an hour every throw, and and I think he realizes that. And and the receivers said he's really done a good job with that in this off season. Last year, I think I, my numbers have him 77th in the country running the ball. They they got they got to be better than that if they want to be at the top of the the ladder in this league, don't they? Oh, you're, you're absolutely right, Greg. And, and you really, this time last year, well, I mean, preseason to 2019, they didn't even have a back who had any experience. I mean, Chris Evans was was the heir apparent. He was going to be coming in, be the starter, take over for Karan Higdon, and Chris Evans was suspended by the university for, for a year for an academic issue. He's back. Now they've got Zach Charbonnet, who set a, a freshman touchdown record for Michigan last year, and he was dealing with some knee issues. He had that, that, um, that surgery procedure Right when he got there as an early enrollee last January. So he struggled a little bit with that, but he's apparently 100%. They've got Hassan Haskins, a guy who's sort of he's been a linebacker. He's, he's been a running back all last season. So they've got experience. They've got a freshman, Blake Corum, that everyone just raves about his speed and thinks he can contribute, if not in the running game, in the running back room, uh, certainly in special teams. So they feel really, they feel like this could be a strength of, the, of their offense, that running back room, which really wasn't last year. But to do that, you better be able to block it up front. A lot of new faces right up there for Coach Warner to try to piece that thing together. Well, that's, I thought that was a bigger storyline coming into this season than quarterback. I thought either way, yeah, you start a first time, you get a first time starter, but both guys were pretty talented. And, and you're right, four starters now. And they, they got it. They got a big boost when Jalen Mayfield, the right tackle last year, had opted out. He was projected to be a first round pick. He's back, and he's, he's been able to start practicing. And so that's been a big, big boost for Ed Warner. And they feel like, you know, they've got a couple guys, Ryan Hayes and, and Andrew Stuber, who missed all last season with a knee injury. They feel like those guys have made starts, and they don't feel like they're starting completely from scratch. But um, they feel really good about Andrew Vistard is taking over at center. He's a fifth-year senior. Um, he's, he's a guy who's really worked hard in this off season to take over that role from Cesar Ruiz. And he's got big shoes to fill, but, uh, they do, they feel like, and I got to tell you, Greg, just from covering this team for so long, this is the first time I've seen offensive linemen across the board who remind me of those, those old, those older, big Michigan offensive lines. So whether that translates in, into how skilled they're going to be, we don't know, but they do, they look the part. Again, visiting with Angelique Shangatos of the Detroit News. We're talking about Michigan on our Around the Big Ten report here on Sports Highly. Let's get into the schedule, the third edition of the Big Ten schedule for 2020. Um, how does it lay out in your eyes for Michigan as they get into this thing here in a couple weeks? Well, you know, I hate doing I hate doing preseason predictions. I really do, and my boss makes me do them. And, and I was looking, I was going game by game, and I, I came up with five and three. I mean, I, you know, they've got Penn State at home, but Penn State's loaded. I don't think home field is going to be much of an advantage. Depend, I, you know, even if you have 10,000 fans there, I still don't think it's that much of a home field advantage. So, you know, I think it, it's a tough way for them to open. I mean, they bookend their season on the road in Minnesota, and then they finish at Ohio State on December 12th. And uh, I think, you know, we'll certainly learn a lot from them that first game at Minnesota. 
but you know, got a couple of tough games at Michigan Stadium at Wisconsin and Penn State, and you know, I just I don't see them winning those games, but mainly because we haven't seen how Joe Milton plays in a game. I mean, yeah, he can he can throw as hard as he wants, but you've got to face a defense like a Penn State and on and on Ohio State, obviously at the end of the season. So, you know, I, I, it's, I think this one's really hard to read. It's, it's, we just don't know that much about this offense. We know about it, but we haven't seen it. No, I'm with you. As I look at that, I mean, those the Wisconsin's not going to be a picnic, and, and neither's Penn State. And that should be a tremendous opener with Minnesota. That's that is an interesting matchup in Week One. I'm certainly going to try to be able to watch as much of that as I can. All right, well, great to have you with us, Angelique. We'll probably bother you with our Big Ten Blitz as we get into this season. I'm just glad we're talking about X's and O's, and and we're not talking about what spring ball and all those type of things that were being thrown around a few months ago. And parent protests, you know, yeah. we're talking about football and, and it's never bugging me. I look forward to this. We're back sports highly here on a Wednesday night and on Wednesdays, Wednesdays, we like to do a little check in with a guy in the big leagues. He's our insider, Lane Grindle. His voice will sound familiar. And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. And coming to us tonight from Miller Park, where he's getting ready to be a part of the broadcast crew as the Brewers in the playoffs. Getting ready to take on the Dodgers. Is that three straight years from Milwaukee in the playoffs? Is that right? Franchise record, three straight years in the playoffs, Greg. And, um, you know, look, this is a little unorthodox year, and there were more teams that got in this year, but nobody's complaining about that. You're just trying to get into the dance and see I got to tell you, I've I've really enjoyed the last two days. It's just been kind of wall-to-wall watching baseball for me, and I know it's driving a lot of people crazy because – you know, baseball wants to make sure the regular season still means a lot, but I have really enjoyed these and knowing it's not a one game and done, that it is a series. Yeah, I agree with you. First off, I think that there's been a, a pretty strong movement within baseball and baseball pe- people over the last couple of years to see the wild card round eventually get to a place where it's not just one game. Uh, managers, coaches, players, I think most of them would prefer it's a best out of three. They understand that you got to put all those three games in at the higher seeds site. Um, and that gives you some incentive to, to get that upper seed, obviously. But um, I, I just think it, it gives you a more true outcome. Anything can happen in one game in baseball. We all know that all too well. And I think to have the three-game series, it does make it a little bit more true. It makes it a little bit more honest. Now, whether or not we see the expanded field like this moving forward, I think that remains to be seen. I think there's a lot to be said for it. Um, I know some people that are traditionalists won't like that. Um, they didn't like the wild card, and I think we've seen that that worked. Um, yes, the, the 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 regular season needs to mean something. It's a 162 game regular season. It's it's a tremendous grind. It rewards depth. It rewards consistency. It rewards teams that can can weather the storm, so to speak, because almost every team goes through one at some point in the year. And if it's easier to get into the postseason, does all of that uh, and that journey mean as much? I get that argument. I totally understand it. But I think from a financial standpoint, it's good for baseball to have these extra games and to have this drama. Um, and that, unfortunately, is, is always a consideration. It has to be. And I think it's still appealing. Look, 
this has been a great day for baseball to have all these games going on. So many people during the day talking about it really reminds you a little bit of March Madness, Greg. Yeah. And I think it's very successful. Let me go back a week. I mean, by the expanded playoffs, you had a lot more teams still jockeying for position on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, including the Brewers. What was that like, this kind of scoreboard watching for you guys over the last three days? Well, you needed a calculus degree or something to a degree. I mean, normally you're kind of chasing one team in your division, maybe one other team for the wild card, and so you kind of know who you're cheering for, who you're cheering against. This was way more complicated than that. And you're like, okay, now wait, what has to happen for us to get in? What do we have to do? Oh, just win? Okay, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, So it was really complicated. It was hard to know. Okay, oh, last night we were cheering for the Reds. Tonight we're not cheering for the Reds because they've clinched. And now, you know, the only way we can get this seat is if this happens. It it really was complicated, to be honest with you. But it was fun. And uh, it was exciting. It was kind of fun finishing our game on Sunday. And obviously we lost, and it was a win-and-you're-in situation, so you're kind of deflated a little bit from that loss. And then, uh, bang, right up on our big board, immediately on our video board, comes the Padres-Giants game, and we're we're back locked in. We're watching that. Let's see if the Brewers can get in anyway. And we're celebrating as the Padres finished off the Giants. So uh, it was still just as much drama as ever. It was different. It was kind of strange at times, but it was still a lot of fun. Again, visiting with our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grindle, here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Got to ask you about today's Reds-Braves game. That was remarkable, 13 innings. The Reds missed out on a ton of opportunities, probably deserved to win the game, and yet the Braves pulled out in 13. Great drama today. Did you get to catch any of that one? Yeah, I watched quite a bit of it. I didn't watch it from start to finish. I'm not sure how many people did, uh, to be honest with <laughs> you, other than the guys in the dugout so that was a that was a marathon yeah i did there was some, there was some questionable base running at times from the reds in that one um but just great pitching uh, max freed is outstanding trevor bauer is outstanding he adds to the game with his personality as well and the bullpens clearly came in and, and did the job and freddie freeman uh gets the job done and there's a lot of argument for him to maybe be the nl mvp and um, I'm not sure that hurt today, uh, depending on where the votes, you know, how many guys have already voted or however that works, but I'm not a voter, so I don't know. But, um, that, that was big because whoever wins that one, I mean, this is like a super regional, right, Greg? And yeah. so yeah. when you go extra of a super regional to bring it back to our college baseball fans, if you win in extra innings, it's a big deal. If you lose in extra innings, it's it's tough because you've burnt a lot of pitching and now you got to go win the next two. That makes it really hard. So, that was a really deflating I'm, – I'm using deflating a lot here tonight in this interview, but that had to be a very deflating loss for the Reds. No no question Trevor Bauer was special in the start for the Reds. And you're right, that's a great analogy that they've kind of brought the Super Regional to baseball this week with these wild card series is at one site playing three games in three days and the best team wins and moves on. This may be a tough one for you as a Brewers broadcast to say something nice, but I do have to ask you about the Cardinals – and they certainly had a lot of issues in August with the, the positive cases of, of COVID-19 and had to play so many doubleheaders. It's, in a way, isn't it remarkable that they made the playoffs with what was ahead of them in the month of September? Yeah, I think so. I, I really do. Uh, you wonder if it wasn't an expanded field where their mental state would have been early on, where it's like, oh, we have this big mountain to climb. We have all these games we got to play. And, you know, who knows if we can make this work and get into the postseason. But those extra spots 
kind of dangling out there. And I know they ended up with the number two two spot out of the central, but with those extra spots dangling out there, did that keep them engaged during some of those tougher days when they knew, oh, we got another doubleheader, then one game tomorrow, then a doubleheader after that? I think mentally to stay locked in, that had to be really challenging for these guys, and credit to them. They did it. You're right. Um, you know, uh, their arrival, and uh, you never enjoy losing to them, and obviously they won on Sunday, and that was tough to take for the Brewers, but um, I, I am impressed. I, I kept waiting for them to fall apart, and there mm-hmm. were some different moments over the course of the season where they thought, okay, here it comes, and then they would kind of bounce back and get themselves righted again, and, and a lot of credit to Mike Schilt uh, and the job that his staff did managing that whole situation. Yeah, they're trying to hang on in game one of their series with the Padres, up 6-4 in the eighth, but the Padres are threatening. Lan, i got to ask you about the Twins. To me, this is mind-blowing that the Twins have lost 18 consecutive playoff games in the sport of baseball. And to get in the playoffs, you got to be a pretty good team. I I just can't fathom that that has happened to that organization. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, uh, it's it's really hard to explain, to be honest with you, Greg. Uh, I can't explain it. You're right, in baseball especially. I mean, look at the Marlins. I, the Marlins are much better, and they've added some talent to that roster and everything else, but they've also caught just the right 60-game little window, <laughs> and, and, they've, and, and, you know, and, they've, and, and it's worked for them. But I don't know if a, over 162, this Marlins team was going to be a postseason team, right? Um, baseball's strange, and so things happen in over 18 games. The fact that they haven't won one, it blows my mind. Now, have they had that big-time stud ace? Not necessarily in that stretch have they had that. I mean, they really haven't had that since Johan Santana, right? I mean, I, I'm, maybe I'm missing somebody in there, but I don't feel like they've had that guy since Santana. Um, they've had really good teams. They've got a great lineup. They keep running to the Yankees. This year they were finally like, oh, great, we don't get the Yankees. Oh, here's an underachieving Astros team with a chip on their shoulder. That's wonderful. Um, I, I'm sure they didn't love that draw either because everybody looks at the Astros with an under 500 record. But you know what? They're still pretty dangerous, and they proved that in that series. It's hard to explain. And when it's 18 games, no matter who the guys in the dugout or in the clubhouse are, no matter who the manager is, uh, you're hearing about it, and you're thinking about it, and it, it's it's kind of a, a, a thing that's hanging over your head a little bit. And I, I'm I'm shocked they didn't win one of those games. And and obviously yesterday's game was a really competitive one. Today was too, and the Astros came up with the hits when they needed to to come away with those wins. But um, you just got to wonder mentally if, if this isn't one of those things that's hanging over their heads a little bit. And I, they're going to be good for a while. They have some good young players. I like the young catcher. Um, I think that the Jeffers kid's going to be really good. Obviously, Sano's still young. Buxton's starting to really come into his own. They've got some young arms I like. I, I think that the, the Twins are going to be around for a while. Rosario's great. Polanco's a great shortstop. But um, eventually, they'll get this thing figured out. But, um, yeah, it, I, I never in my wildest dreams I think that streak was going to continue today. It's one of the most amazing streaks I've ever heard in sports. It's just crazy. All right, let's uh, – the Brewers, big task ahead of, of them with the Dodgers, who everybody's kind of crowned already as the champions of this thing. And tough news on, on your rookie bullpen right, right-hander. is Whit Williams is not on the list for the playoffs, is he? No, and I got a chance to talk to him a couple of hours after the news came out. Uh, we did a one-on-one interview, and he's, he's really down. He's really disappointed. Um, he's having – as good a year as I think any reliever's ever had, um, it's always going to be hard to quantify it over 162 because it's different to be great for 60 
than 162, obviously, but he gave up one earned run all year, Greg. He had more swing and miss on that changeup than anything I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's it was the best pitch in baseball. He had been downright dominant. He was averaging two strikeouts an inning. I mean, he was he's the reliever of the year in the National League. I'll be shocked if he doesn't win that. And I think he's the NL Rookie of the Year. Now, that that's a little different competition because Dustin May's in there. Um, Jake Cronenworth is a guy that is getting some conversation for that. I don't think he's going to win it. But um, that's going to be an interesting battle there. But I, I, I think Devin has this strong an argument as anybody so that's a huge loss for us he does think that he could be back by the nlds if the brewers could pull off the upset in this series and advance that's really encouraging news it's just a little bit of right shoulder soreness it's nothing structural that they fear so that's good news but uh he's a big time weapon for the brewers at the back of that bullpen and just puts a little little bit more pressure on josh Hader in this series now because the, uh, the odds are pretty good that if the brewers are in position to win a game they're going to have to ask him to go get him five six seven outs depending on the situation and that's asking a lot out of a reliever but in these situations a lot of times that's what you have to do maybe a guy like Corey Knable is ready you know he's coming back from Tommy John he hasn't been used in high leverage but he's done that a lot in his career and he was absolutely brilliant in the 2018 postseason maybe somebody like Corey Knable is uh ready to to kind of step up in the absence of Devin Williams we'll see very good first pitch in a little, about an hour and a half um, the Brewers will be having it on their network. All right, last thing, uh, since we talked to you last Wednesday, we've learned of the retirement of Alex Gordon. How are you going to remember the former Cornhusker in Kansas City Royal? Well, I will remember Alex. Um, this is this. I, I don't like doing this because I'm going to make this really personal. And it has not like Alex doesn't know who I am. So <laughs> I just want to clarify <laughs> this. But I have two moments with Alex that kind of coincide with big moments in my career. And so, I mean, I, I've always had this, this baseball crush on Alex Gordon, if you will, because the first thing I ever did in radio was get sent to an Alex Gordon baseball game in the Nebraska State High School baseball tournament and covered every single at bat that he made and called into the radio station and gave updates after each Alex Gordon at bat. That was the first thing I ever did in radio, my first assignment. And so I was always curious to see what was going to become of Alex Gordon from that moment forward. And, of course, we know he went to Nebraska, had a brilliant career, had a chance to see him in the College World Series. And then, of course, he gets drafted by the Royals. And it's no secret I grew up a pretty big Royals fan. And he's supposed to be the next George Brett and everything else. But then he started coming around the program a lot, uh, the Nebraska program. And we got a chance to be around him a little bit, Greg. And the day that I got the email from the Brewers to interview for this job was the day you and I were hosting a signing day show for Nebraska football uh, at Memorial Stadium. And Alex was there, and I did a one-on-one -on -one with him out in the lobby. And as I was doing the one-on-one -on -one with him, my phone buzzed, and I checked my email. And I think I then came and ran and showed you shortly after, but it was an email from the Brewers asking me to interview for this job. And it basically happened at the moment I was interviewing Alex Gordon. So those are like just these weird big moments in my career and Alex Gordon had something to do with him in a really unrelated way. But he was an amazing player. I think the way he played the game. I mean, I've always said the moment my son was born, I gave him um, – I, I wore an Alex Gordon T-shirt to the day that he was – you know, to his birth. And I remember holding him in my arms and telling him, there's this guy named Alex Gordon. He's on my shirt, and I want you to play baseball someday, and I want you to play it the way he plays it because he plays the game the right way. He hustles. 
He does the little things. He takes care of his body. I want you to to play the game like him and respect the game like he does. Like he does. And I tell my son about Alex Gordon all the time. You won't really get to remember watching him play, but he'll, he he knows how to use YouTube. So he'll he'll probably see plenty of outfield assists on the highlight reel over the years. Good stuff. All right, we'll get ready for your your game tonight. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Let's get into this week's edition of Buy Sell. It's time to buy or sell. Buy Sell is brought to you by Famous Dave's, your perfect catering choice for business lunches, meetings, weddings, parties, and more. Treat your guests to authentic smoked daily barbecue, made-from-scratch sides, and award-winning desserts. Famous Dave's, we do catering right. Now here's the hosts of Buy or Sell, Josh Elkham. And Austin Orman. Well, here we are, and I think you guys will appreciate this. We started this season of Buy, Sell, Anew with the Everybody Plays edition, and we started it with, you know, we kind of have rotated who gets to collect the questions for the week, make sure everything's working. I started out, and it's back to me. It's background to me. So this wow. is the seventh time that we've played this version of Buy or Sell. Where did One that go? One spin all the way around. Yep, that's right. Hopefully, this is the first of many. Josh, how you feeling, man? I mean, it's a, not great. Were, were you were you pretty hacked off today, or like what did you expect before the game started? I suppose. I, obviously, I was a, I'm a pessimist when it comes to sports, so I was obviously expecting the worst. Um, and yeah, that to keep it short, I, I told Austin this earlier. I was looking up some stats and. The, the stat was basically that the Twins in, in that 18-game stretch where they've lost all these games, they have been just absolutely awful in the, last se- in the seventh inning on of those games. And I could have told you that without looking at the stats, but they've been outscored by just an absurd amount of runs. So whenever it gets to the seventh inning and later, I could just feel it coming on. So what, what, uh, How much worse does it make it that it was the Astros? Uh, I honestly, or, it, or does it not even matter? It would have been worse if it was the Yankees, I think. But other than that, like I honestly don't care. But it's been the Yankees almost every other game. Like it's, yeah. I think it's twelve out of the eighteen have, or Ouch. thirteen out of the eighteen have been the Yankees. So, not great, not great. But maybe next year. I, and before we get into the answers from this week, and we have a lot. I, one more, th- I kind of like to give a little stat from this these analytics that we've been doing since everybody's asking the questions. We have an analysis team now on buy sell hired just for buy sell purposes. Exactly. So, uh, I didn't w- think that was in the budget, but that's well, okay. yeah, we found it. <laughs> we, we found scraped it. it together. So, looking at how everybody does on their own questions, Ben, you are the only one who is answering your own questions above fifty percent. Now everybody's above fifty percent on your ah. questions, but. You're at 72%. Greg, you're answering your own questions at 41%. I'm at 42% on my own questions. Brad is at 44%. Austin is at a paltry 14%. Austin! One of seven seven on his own questions, and Tim is 44% on his own questions. Austin, come on. Okay, let's hear it. It just goes to show you, though. It's hard. I, you know, I'm trying trying to set interesting lines. I'm just getting a little too cute with it. I just got to go back to the basics moving forward here and uh, everyone plays season two. I think that's the adjustment. Yeah, just go opposite of what you think is going to happen on yeah. your own You'd be questions. batting, what, 86% if that was the case? Yeah. So. He'd be getting sent back to the minors is what he'd be getting. <laughs> I'm quad A on my own questions right now. 
Uh, all right, well, without further ado, let's get into some answers. And we have plenty that came from before last week. This one from August 19th. It was a great question about Major League Baseball. And Greg Aspire saw that Charlie Blackman would finish the regular season with a 400 or better batting average. That was a sell. He plummeted all the way down to a 303 batting average. Now, all of, all of us sold it except for Tim. So all of us, the oh, Tim got this yeah. one right. Come Sorry, on, Tim. Dude. It's That's almost easy too easy, sell. isn't it? I, it is, yeah. Oh, Tim, goodness. Tim, 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 Tim. Tim, what are you doing, dude? I don't know what he was doing. Punting away a free question. That's what yeah. he's doing. That's true. <laughs> the second answer is also an MLB question from August the 19th from Brett, though. Brett asked, buy or sell that Kenta Maeda pitches into the ninth inning in at least one more time in the remainder of the 2020 regular season. The correct answer was a sell. Mr. Maeda only made it through seven in his longest start. Everyone was right on that one. Everyone sold. Even yeah, Tim. Wow. Even, Even Tim. Okay, yes. Tim. I see you, Tim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pitch count's just a problem with that dude. Josh could tell yeah. you that. He just he just has a hard yeah. time controlling that thing. Yeah, he he pitched great yesterday in game one of the yeah. Of the he series, had a good but, year. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, another answer from Greg. Another MLB question. This one from September 9th. Buy or sell that both wild cards in Major League Baseball would be decided by one game or less. The eight spot over the nine. The answer was a sell. The NL was. In fact, it was a tiebreaker scenario in the NL, but the AL was a five-game spread between Toronto and Seattle. So that one was not close. So Greg, myself, Austin, and Tim all sold it and were right. Ben and Brett were wrong with a buy. Ben. Yeah. It was close at the time, but I should have known it was going to separate. Yeah. All right. Now from September 16th, we go to the National Basketball Association. Brett asked if we would buy or sell that Kemba Walker would average at least 18.5 points per game in the rest of the Eastern Conference semis with Miami, or that Kemba would have a 30-plus point game in the remainder of the playoffs. There were three Kemba believers in this group. It was Ben, Brett, and myself. We bought and were correct. Greg, Josh, and Tim sold and were incorrect. What did he? What did he do? Sell Kemba on he anything. He ended ever. up at nineteen point eight points per game. Okay, just, that was just a, dominated. He, that was a good. He line. didn't get thirty. He didn't get thirty. He did not though. have a thirty-point game. Yeah. The most he had in a game was twenty-three, actually. So and now he, now he's on his couch. So that's good. Just, <laughs> just the just the epitome of consistency right there. Yeah, just a true solid. warrior. Solid. Let's go play for a new team next year, so I can ro- actually. Wow. Root. I had such a hard time rooting for Boston in the playoffs. I, I really did. Yeah, I can. I can see that. All right, uh, up next we have another Greg. We have a lot of Greg answers tonight. So this one also from Major League Baseball, September 16th, another week later. Buyer saw that the White Sox would end up having the one seed in the American League. That was a sell. The Rays were actually the one seed. The White Sox fell all the way down to the seven seed, finished third in the AL Central. And Greg, you and Austin were actually the only ones to get it wrong with a buy. The rest of us sold it and got it right. They tanked. Yep, they sure did. It, it sh- and it looked like at that point they were just on fire, and yeah. it, it seemed like they could cruise into the finish line with the, the AL Central win. As Luis Robert went, so the White Sox went. Yes. Yeah. Yep. We have another baseball question from the 16th, this time from Ben, who asked us, buy or sell that Christian Yelich has another three-hit game and that the Brewers scored at least 12 runs in a game before the end of the season? The correct answer was a sell. Yelly only got up to two hits against the Royals on the 18th. That same day was also the time the Brewers scored the most runs the remainder of the season with nine. 
Imagine this, the only person that bought it was Tim. He was incorrect. The rest of us told him we're right. <laughs> oh. Oh, how about that? One three-hit game for the MVP. Yeah. Terrible year. year. Not great. Not great at all. All right, well, we're caught up now to last week's questions, and we have a lot of answers from last week, too. And we started with an Austin one from the Sports Nightly Fantasy Football League. Buy or sell that the average margin of victory in this week's Sports Nightly Fantasy Football League would be 25 points or more. The answer was a buy. 29.6 was oh, the average margin of victory. Really? There were some close ones. Yeah, there were some close ones. There were also a couple of blowouts. A couple there was a, of really not close ones. There was a 60-point one. I can't remember who. Did Tim lose by 100 but. again this week? Mm. He won by, f- like, four. Yeah, it was a close Yeah, because Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown just completely fell apart. So the, there were only two that bought it and got it right. That would be Ben and Brett. So congrats Woo! to those two. Man. Love it. I, I, I appreciate the innovation. I wasn't on the show last week, but I appreciate Austin going with a sports nightly fantasy football league question. That was good. Cool. I felt, it felt like the line was pretty fair, too, and only four, almost five points above it. I feel that's a pretty acceptable, yes. acceptable no, margin you, of most, error. Most competitive fantasy football league on the planet. That's true. Maybe in the universe. More Maybe. research needed. Pump the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second question from last week you haven't answered to was an NBA question from Brett. He asked, buy or sell that Nuggets guard Jamal Murray hits a go-ahead shot with under two minutes left in any of the Western Conference Finals games from that point on. Correct answer was a sell because the Nuggets didn't have a lead in the last two minutes (laughs) of either of the last two games. Come on, Jamal. The series, (laughs) Greg and Ben and I all sold it and were correct. The other three producers were wrong with a buy. Good job, guys. Yep. Uh, this next one was a Greg college football question by ourselves that one of the SEC teams ranked in the top 20 would lose this past weekend. It was a buy, and it wasn't really probably one you would have guessed. It was number six LSU losing to Mississippi State. Uh, Greg, myself, and Brett all got it right with a buy. Now, Greg and Brett predicted that it would be South Carolina, but yeah. that was not what ended up happening. So. But the rest of you guys, Ben, Austin, and Tim sold and got it. I did. I'm not mad about it, though. Eating LSU. (laughs) Right. Agreed. All right. So we stick in college football here. A Ben question. This one uh, got a little confusing last week with all the (laughs) parameters, but it's made up on the fly. So still a good question. Nonetheless, Ben, you asked us if we would buy or sell that Spencer Rattler completed 80% of his passes or more or that he would have at least 290 passing yards <laughs> or four total touchdowns. First triple or question. Ugh. First one in show history ends Probably up the a last. bye. He only completed 73% of his passes, only. but he did throw for 387 yards and four scores. In addition, a game-sealing interception. So everyone bought yes. it and was correct. Did the, the completion percentage count the ones he threw to the Wildcats? Oh, that Whoa, that might have been 80%. You're right. That's How about good, the fact that uh, he he barely made it with that fourth touchdown, but the yardage was way over. Yeah. Way over. Way over. How many of us got that right again? Every All one of us. us. Everybody, even Tim. Oh, yeah, it was a Ben question. Oh, that was so oh. <laughs> hey. I get my questions right. That's all I'm about. 72%, baby. I wouldn't know. Everybody else is at. Everybody else is there, too, on that percentage. Uh, I'm actually the one that's doing the worst on your questions, Ben. I'm at 63%. Everybody else. Well, actually, Tim's at 54 But, yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of Tim, he uh, had an NHL question, but that'll be the last NHL question he'll have for a while. Buy or sell that there 
would be at least 55 combined saves in last Wednesday night's Stanley Cup Finals game between the Stars and the Lightning. The answer, a sell. They came up with 49 saves between those two teams. There are only two of us that sold it, Greg and myself. The rest ding, of you ding, guys ding, were ding, ding, wrong. Ding, ding, ding. Well, it's not, yep. it's not our fault the Stars couldn't save a dang puck. I think the Lightning scored like six goals. So thanks a lot, Hudobin, for letting all those pucks by, not getting any saves for us. Yeah. So Mr. NHL, Tim didn't get it right? He didn't. What's he going to do now? I, I I know the answer to he this. He could probably do off-season NHL questions. That's true. He you could know, do a future question this, for next this year. This free agent signs by October 12th or something like that. Yeah, there are options open, I guess. Just a rough question for Tim. Loses the question and loses the series. Just yeah, yeah. It's tough. that's a weird-looking sweep for the Stars. I've never seen a sweep that looked like that before. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't think anyone has. Well, back to the NBA for Brett's next question. He asked, "Buy or sell that Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler combined for at least 18 points of the second half of last Wednesday's Eastern yes. Conference Final matchup? Tatum had zero at the half. Butler had 11. The correct answer." was a bye. Jason Tatum had 28 points himself <laughs> in the third quarter. Jimmy Butler added 13. So everyone took the over. Everyone bought and was correct. Everybody, right? Everybody. All right, Greg, you asked an NFL question last week by ourselves that Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson would combine to score at least six touchdowns in their Monday night matchup. The answer, a bye. Mahomes had five. He did the heavy lifting. Jackson only had one, but that five plus one does equal six. And three of us got it right. It was Brett, Austin, and yours truly. Wow. I got. Yeah, I didn't think it would quite get to six. Good line, huh? Great line. Great line. Fantastic line. line. You, you fooled yourself, which is, seems to be the trend, except for Ben. <laughs> except for me. <laughs> well, Ben uh, didn't get his own question right on this next one. I'll give you a teaser Spoiler. there. Back to the NFL. Buy or sell that at least two 0-2 teams defeat 2-0 teams last weekend. Those matchups were the Bears-Falcons, Titans-Vikings, Texans-Steelers, and Lions-Cardinals. The correct answer to that was a sell since there was only one winless team that topped an undefeated team. That was the Detroit Lions over the Arizona Cardinals. Greg, you and I sold it and were right. Everyone else yes. bought it. Yes. That was wow. shocking to me. Well, the Falcons' fault. Yeah. It, what were the other ones? It was the Texans, Steelers, the Titans. and Titans-Vikings. That was also a close game. Yeah. Vikings could have won. They should have won. Yeah. They blew that one, too. What's what's my winning percentage on Ben's questions right now, Josh? You're, <laughs> it, this is good. It's You're 10 of 11, so 90.9% <laughs> on Ben's questions. You... Keep them coming, Ben. Keep them coming. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, so I don't care about that percentage. There's one percentage I care well, about. Well, let's get to that right now. <laughs> Greg, you were 10 of 14 on the week. Ben, 9 Solid. of 14. Uh, Brett, Austin, and myself were all 10 of 14 as well. And Tim bringing up the rear at 5 of 14. Oh. <laughs> Doubled it oh, up. So, so we may need to give him a whole week off, boys. <laughs> ben, your two-point lead uh, has dwindled down to one now, 36 to 35 over Greg. And uh, Austin and myself are tied for third at 31 of 56. Brett at 28 correct answers and Tim at 24 correct answers. So Tim bringing up the rear. Man, <sighs> Tim hasn't My had goodness. a piece of humble pie the last month. He's had like four humble, whole <laughs> humble pies. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, I'm going to start out with the questions this week since I was the one who collected them, and I'm going to start with a college football one. Buy or sell that at least two of the five favored teams in the Big 12 lose this weekend. So here are the matchups for you. I have them ready. Texas is favored by 12 over TCU. Baylor by three over West Virginia. 
Oklahoma State by 21 over Kansas. K-State by 2.5 over Texas Tech. And Oklahoma by 7 over Iowa State. So do at least two of those five teams that are favored lose this weekend in the Big 12. And I'll give my answer first. I am going to buy. The Big 12 has been mayhem so far, so why not? Yeah, I'll follow you up with that. I think I buy that as well. You're right. It just has been so unpredictable from week to week. And and COVID is part of that because some guys are getting held out and you don't really know that and the the odds makers don't know that going into games. And I think with that uncertainty, yeah, I I can see two, two of the favorites going down. Sure. Um... Two of the twelve, or two of the Big Twelve. Um, yep. There's a couple of big lines in there, um, right? That I, that I know are probably gonna. I, I like. I don't see Texas losing to TCU. They look or last Oklahoma week. State to Kansas. So then you need yeah. two of the other three to be upsets. I think West Virginia could win. I think Texas Tech could win. Um. I mean, if they both do, then that's a buy. I'll take the I'll take the favorites. Okay, I'll sell it. So you're selling. Yeah, awesome. I'm with Ben on this, and I'm going to sell as well. Those Baylor, West Virginia, and K-State, Texas Tech games, I think, are the two most likely candidates. But I think at least one of Baylor and Kansas State gets it done to keep it as a sell. Okay, Greg, you're up next. Okay. All right, best game of the day in college football Saturday is Georgia-Auburn. Uh, these teams play every year. That's the, the crossover rivals. Do you buy or sell that the two teams combine to score more than 45 points? Mm. I'm going to sell. Mm. I think this is a defensive slugfest. <sighs> I, I'll i buy it. I'll be different on that one. No reason. Just feeling some points. I like Ben always says he cheers for points, so... I'm usually of that mentality, too. Go points. Cheering for points is one thing. Getting points is another. Given how future that Georgia offense looked last week, as good as that Georgia defense is as well, I'm going to have to sell. I don't think they hit it. They get JT Daniel eligible. Yep. True. Think about I think the lines. The lines what like forty four. It's forty four and a half mm-hmm. is what I last saw. Yeah, so it's right around that. You just think about all the combinations that you know twenty seven seventeen, one thirty one fourteen. I mean, there's just a yeah. bunch of combinations. Twenty three twenty two would be a buy. Yeah. Well, it has to be more than forty five. So basically twenty four twenty one, forty five zero. We could do this all day. <laughs> Yeah, it's more than forty-five, <laughs> so they got to get to forty-six to, to buy it. Yeah, so that's even a you know point and a half more than what this over/under is from Vegas. What do they know? So, so that's it true. It has to be forty-six. <laughs> We're the experts. Yes, it has to be forty-six or more, according to the terminology used. At least forty-six. Ben, you're the uh, last one to. Yeah, I mean, here. I root for points, so I'm taking the points. All right, bye. Over. <laughs> um. All right. So it's my turn. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. Or no, it's Austin's turn. I mean, it doesn't matter, but... Go ahead, Austin. Go, Austin. All right, so I'll go to the MLB playoffs. Ask you guys, buy or sell that American League teams hit more home runs in the postseason and that National League starting pitchers have a lower combined ERA than their AL counterparts. I'm going to buy it. I think the AL hits more home runs and the NL starting pitchers show out. Just a clarification question. 
is, this is all the way through the World Series and games that started yesterday, the entirety Correct. of the postseason? Correct, the entirety oh. of the postseason. Wow. I think I'll buy it, too. I, it makes sense in my mind that, that that is what would happen. Now, you don't have – the difference is, is that there's the DH and the NL, so that kind of would bring things together a little bit more, but I'll still go – with a buy. If you've if you followed this game for the several years we've played it, you know when I have and questions, right. I sell. Yeah, you, you do. do, and I and I will sell. Okay, I am selling as well, and here's kind of my logic here. Um, there are a lot of really good National League pitchers that are not pitching right now uh, that are out for injury reasons. Um, you know, you think about the Padres; they just wrapped up. No. Nelson Lamette, no Mike Clevenger, um, no Corbin Burns for Milwaukee. Uh, so th- those are some of the best. So those are, you know, so, so I think there are going to be some more home runs in the NL. And I think their ERAs are going to be higher. I'm doubting my answer right now because Austin bought it and he is one of seven on his own questions. So <laughs> I just did the same thing as See, him. See, so I, I'm, I'm I wanted to sell. I was going to sell, but since well, I have to go with the opposite, that's why I have to buy. So I am selling because of that reason. There are a lot of really good National League pitchers that are out. I think that's going to hire the ERAs and hire the homers. All right, Ben, now it's your turn. You can go now. Okay. All right. Let's see if this is a, a little more tricky for you, yeah. Greg. Tricky. Buy or sell that both Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers throw an interception after their team loses a game. Each of them have nine touchdowns and zero picks through three games. And zero losses. Right. So undefeated teams. So Mahomes and Rodgers' first interception come after their team loses a game. So their first interception, not just an interception. Yes, their first interception. So I guess yeah. So they I can't throw be... an interception in a loss, right? Or if they win a game, like if like if Pat Mahomes, Patrick, I should say Patrick, if he throws a an interception and the Chiefs win, then it's a sell. But the you gotta interce- have both. You gotta have both guys do it. Both of them have to do it. I'm, what are you doing? Yeah, ben? what are you doing? I'm thinking. Can I um, answer? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna sell it. I don't feel real confident about it, but I'm gonna sell it. So if you I'm sell, say the, inter- s- the interception comes before the win. Right. That's before the loss or before the loss. Before yeah. the loss. The interception comes before the loss. Correct. So if they if they throw a pick and they lose that game, then you're buying. The interception that. came no. first. Right. Okay. Because the final gotcha. horn hadn't sounded yet. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I, I'm selling too. I'm I'm on board with Ben on that one. Neither of them have thrown an interception through six combined games. Yeah, what if they don't sell in it or don't uh, throw an interception the rest of the season? Then, and they go undefeated, and they go undefeated, and then it bleeds into next year. All right. <laughs> Initially, I thought this was an easy buy, but the more I listen, the more it seems like selling seems like it's a hell of a question. It's an unbelievable question, Ben. I think you're tricking all of us somehow. Galaxy brained us. I'm yep. buying the heat right now, by the way, up 10. Let's go. Let's go. Um, I'll just be there. Everybody sold it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody so sold far. it. 
Are you sure you want to do that? You know the the tendency yeah, on Ben's that's questions. A, that's a Tim. I say you know Tim's move. gonna buy. So that is a Tim, Tim move. Camp or not. Yeah, I'll, I'll fall in line with you guys. Also, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. you took the bait. Yep. That's weak mindedness right there. All that's right. Pure pressure. We have playing two, the game. Playing the game to win. <laughs> two more questions this week, and the first one comes from Brett. And you just mentioned the NBA final going on. Finals going on right now, Greg. So Brett asked, buy or sell that the Miami Heat would shoot at least two percent better than the Lakers from three-point range in the first four games of the NBA Finals. And I'll go first on this hmm. one since I have already seen the question. I'm going to buy because I feel like. There's a reason he asked the question. I'm guessing that they're better from three-point land than the Lakers. So, According to the stats, in the regular season, Miami shot 37.5% from three. The Lakers, 35%. Oh, that's so why wow. he did it. Whoa, he put it right, right on the number. <laughs> Whoa. How about that? <sighs> Sneaky devil. Yeah. <laughs> Brett knew what he was doing. He didn't just come up with the question off the top yeah. of his head like some of us do. He actually looked into it, researched it, and found it. And that's what he did. Great stuff. I, I just feel like they're a better three-point shooting team. I just have more guys that do it, so I'll buy it. Okay. You're buying the Heat? Yeah. Yes. Heat over the Lakers, 2% or better. Um, No, I'm going Lakers. They're going to throw some water on that fire. All right. Boom. Sell. Austin? See, four games is a long time. To shoot better than your opponent – for four straight games, I think that's a big ask. The Heat didn't shoot it all that well against Boston at times. That's what helped Boston come back. So could they do it the first couple games? I think so. Is it going to be all four? I don't believe so. So I will also douse a bucket of ice water on the Heat and sell. Let's do it, Austin. Let's all fill right. up our buckets, and let's head south to South Beach, and let's throw it on some I am heat. already on as my way, heat, needing my mic. just drained a three as you made I that answer. Long I love way it. to go, I baby. I love it. Let's go. Long way to go. All right. So, Tim, last but not least, he does he switch it up from NHL? <laughs> he does. He's going to go with the French Open here. Buy or sell that Dominic theme makes it to the final of the French Open. Sell. Sell. He hits a ball at somebody's throat and gets ejected. Oh, that's that's Djokovic. Joker's going to get going to fall in line. And this is Nadal's tournament. Yeah, theme doesn't make the finals. I, is he on the same side of the bracket as Nadal? I I, they I are, know. yes. They are on the same yeah. side. Well, then I'm get selling that. Theme. Get was, out of here. I was prepared no to chance, buy buddy. it. I was prepared to buy it, but no way am I Pack up your that. rackets and head back to, is he from France? Yeah. Sure. I guess he doesn't have to head anywhere. He's home. French Open. It's, it, it's hard to. I mean, he just won the U.S. Open two, <laughs> week, two weeks ago. It's hard to get yourself kind of prepared and ready yeah, to up again. Dominic Thiem yeah. is from Austria, so he's not Austria, far from. Okay. Home. All right. Yeah. Are you I, selling I, or buying, Austin? Well, I wanted to buy it. I wanted to pull for an upset, but I think it's dumb to <laughs> bet against Rafa on clay. So, you know, I think I'll have to sell. All right. Fair enough. We know Tim's buying it. Yep. He's all over that one. Good. That's it. All right. Well done. We're back, Sports Nightly, here on a Wednesday night. We're ready for another one of our Husker Sports Network originals, a podcast, kind of a documentary style. Our last one was about the Tom Osborne offense, which was incredible. We got another great one that's going to come out in its full form tomorrow, and it's about the great history of Kent Pavelka calling Husker Sports. Here's a little snippet of what's in the full version. Pavelka may have been best known for his work in the broadcast booth for football, but KP brought the same energy and passion courtside 
for the Nebraska basketball team as well. His interest in Husker hoops started at a young age. I was kind of right in that age group where grade school and early junior high school was uh, before all the, the mania hit. And then, you know, in junior high school and high schools when, uh, when all the success started to happen. But my interest in it, I, th- I guess, predated Devaney and predated, you know, I, I remember going to games where Jerry Bush was the basketball coach, you know, and um, I was there when I was there when Cassie Russell beat Nebraska, or Nebraska beat Cassie Russell in an undefeated Michigan team in the, in the mid-60s. So, um, you know, the, the timing for me was that I grew up right when all this exploded, and that just intensified my interest in, in getting into this business, really. Looking for the opening, he found it, he shot through, put it up and into the layup, 60-55, to 55, Nebraska by five points. Morningstar, bounce pass, right side, stolen by Bob Siegel, here comes Bob down the court, layup, up, it's good! 62-55, the Huskers go back out on top by seven points, and we'll have a timeout taken by Kansas, listen to this crowd! You know, since, since I got to do Nebraska basketball from the get-go, when I went to KFAB in 1974 and without interruption you know I couldn't wait for basketball season to start I mean who wants to be second fiddle if you want to be a play-by-play guy right I I appreciated being the color guy for Bremser but that's not what I wanted to do and so you know basketball was just as important to me if not more important because I got to do the games and uh, I gave it my all and you know you can give it your all as a analyst or a color guy but it really doesn't mean a whole lot because you can't do the games. Bo is handed the basketball in the backcourt. It comes to Buchanan. Buchanan guarded there by Livingston. 13, 12. Buchanan across the line on the right side. Pops out to Bo Reed. Moving to the left side. Eight, seven seconds, six seconds. Bo hands it off to EJ. It's loose on the floor. Reed gets it. Puts it up. Left corner. Go! Go! Fifteen seconds to go. Smith to Downing. Ten seconds. Williams right side to Cloudy. Nine, eight, seven. Williams left side to Downing. Shoots it from 25. Got it! It's good! Huskers will take a one-point lead into the dressing room over Iona on a 25-footer by Greg Downing. And there's the horn, and Nebraska wins the 1996 National Invitation Tournament, knocking off St. Joseph's of Pennsylvania 60-56. What a special, special, special moment this is in the history of Nebraska basketball. Left elbow, backdoor cut, layup, up and good by McClay. Off the pass from Anderson. We've got a two-point game at 45-43. to Doc Sadler slicing and dicing the Texas Longhorns. Spencer brings it up on the dribble. Right side to Richardson, shoots a three. Got it! It's good! It's good! Richardson drains it. It's 61 to 56. 61 to 56 with 2.13 to go in the second overtime. Nebraska with a five-point lead. So long, Bob Devaney. After 37 years, it's all over in this arena. And it could not have been a better or more perfect night. Five, four, three, two, one. The Huskers have done it. Nebraska knocks off Wisconsin. Final score, 77 to 68. They're storming the floor. Bad play on the offensive end for Michigan State. And Shields with a steal, took it away from Valentine. Shields all the way to the rack, kicks it out. Three by McVeigh. Got it! 
Three ball. Jack McVay. Bang-a-ring. And the Oscars have tied the game at 56. No broadcast would be complete without a color analyst. KP, a former color man himself, has had some good ones over the years, including former Husker Matt Davison, now the current associate AD of Nebraska football. I mean, I remember, you know, driving around with my dad on the farm as a kid and listening to to games on the radio and, and hearing Kent. I remember him in basketball first and you know Clifford Scales and I mean all these names that I remember him talking about Bo Reed I mean and uh so yeah for sure the guy was a legend I knew his voice when I was probably six years old or eight years old driving around with my parents my dad in the tractor or whatever listening to Husker games in the midcourt Trey Davis left side got a Gordon on the elbow the handoff the Esho double team comes in that was all ball Biggs got all ball that's a terrible call I remember sitting to next to him because there were hardly any fans there in Charleston and he was all it was uh, Ted Valentine got all ball well, he was driving to, to his right side right by the top of the key and looked like the help defense came and they got Biggs with the reach Biggs was the help, came in with the right hand and got the ball, and Esho's at the free throw line. And it's short, and the rebound off the miss, Nebraska. Smith's got it. And <laughs> and, <laughs> and so you could hear everything. There's no fans there. It was a terrible call. Awful. Just awful. And the guy's right in front of us. I'm like, he hears you, Kent. <laughs> he has ears. I don't think he likes you, Kent. Here's Biggs. I don't, I don't think that's going to help us get a call later in the game. I'll tell you that. Crossover dribble. Biggs gives it up to Webster. Pump fake. Drive. Spins in the lane. Kick out. Rivers on the left elbow. Rivers backing up. Are you going to blame this on me now? Well, you're the one that out? said it. <laughs> Who do you want to blame? The official. Well, There's 50 people here. The I, official can hear every word you're saying. I can't help by how loud I am here. Is Biggs driving the ball. Spins in the lane. Puts it up. Can't finish. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies. And now he doesn't want to talk to yeah, me. Now he's mad at me, but I did apologize. Look, he's the guy just brings it every night. There you go. What a snippet. That'll be fun to listen to. The full version drops where you hear your podcast tomorrow.